when you think of the complete overall theme of, of, of the life of your mother, uh, it, it probably is summed up by sacrifice. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another holiday edition of Medical Dads. That's right. It's a very special holiday edition, perhaps the most special holiday of all. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's not Father's Day, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> That's definitely not the wacky tie day or, Dad, here's a sock for all your labors day. It's not that day. <laughs> That's just one of those holidays. That's just an echo of Mother's Day. Nobody, nobody came up with Father's Day first. And then said, oh, you know, we've got Father's Day. Yo, we should make something for women, too. It's not like, you know, we had Spider-Man and then afterwards, like, ah, just an afterthought. Let's make a Batwoman or a Spider-Woman. This is like, no, Mother's Day came first. And then somebody along the line was like, I guess we'll make Father's Day. Yeah. But any day that is a day where we get an excuse to eat out, you know, at, at, and just get pampered a little bit is worth it. So I'll still take it, even though it's not the greatest holiday of the year. But this week we are talking about one of the greatest holidays of the year. And that's Mother's Day. That's right. Who, I understand the actual woman who advocated to have Mother's Day recognized as an actual event, later was upset about the whole thing and was sort of wishing that it had never come to pass. I think you've mentioned that at some point in the show. Maybe give us a quick refresher of how that came to be. Well, that I think this was something in the, in the early 19th century, early 1900s, uh, maybe around 1930 or so. Uh, a woman who had really recognized just how much unrecognized work her own mother had done uh, had this idea that, yes, she wants a day to recognize, acknowledge what mothers are doing. Uh, mm-hmm. What she didn't envision was it becoming something where people are spending money on uh, copious flowers, gifts, uh, becomes a marketing <laughs> thing, becomes a very commercialized thing. Uh, and actually, when it became that, uh, she... she was saying, this is not what I actually wanted. I, I, I regret this. I just want people to recognize mothers. See, that's where, that's where she's lacking the vision, right? See, if, if you were to put me in her shoes, right, and I came up with, you know, with you, we came up with the medical dads. The yeah. day that the medical dads become super commercial and where's, there's flowers and gifts <laughs> and candies being bandied about on behalf of the medical dads, like medical dad sponsored stuff, that will be a great day. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be not raking in the profits on that day. Well, there is such a thing as National Doctors' Day, isn't there? Or even International Doctors' Day. Some kind. Of, there is some day where doctors are supposed to get some level of appreciation or something like <laughs> hey, that. I mean, I th- I don't know about Doctors' Day, but Family Doctor Day just passed like not too long ago. I think it was last oh, week. Oh, there's a specific Family Doctor Day. There is. There's a day for everything. I mean, since we're on the subject of greatest days of the year. We yeah. are actually recording this on May the 3rd, which is one day before May the 4th be with you, right? <laughs> that's right. So that's a, there's a, so many holidays to, to pick from. So Did you know Mar- March 10th is Super Mario Day? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm too busy celebrating May the 4th be with you still <laughs> on that day. <laughs> well, it comes before May the 4th day. It's like a primer to whet your appetite. But March 
abbreviated as M-A-R, and then 10th is 1-0, which kind of looks like I-O. So that's how they come up with Mario. And so, yeah, if you, <laughs> if you keep uh, your eye on media around that time, you'll notice that they actually do try to encourage some sort of celebration <laughs> or recognition of Super Mario on that day. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All these, you know, honestly, all of these are like fake holidays, faux holidays, <laughs> right? The only real holiday this week that matters is Mother's Day, and that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Although some, some of our audience members might look forward more to May the 4th than they do to Father's Day. <laughs> well, the, this father in particular would look forward to it more. <laughs> so how, how do we want to approach Mother's Day? I, I thought, you know, we've talked about our moms periodically on the show, but mm-hmm. I think at some point we had a Father's Day episode where we actually really talked about our fathers like as human beings and maybe yeah. we could do that for our moms and just maybe share some stories and and learning about parenting from our moms you know as a thing since this is still despite the batman debacle a medical yeah. parenting podcast <laughs> all right this sounds good let's talk about mothers when you think about mothers in terms of our mothers I feel like it's a little bit different than when you think about mothers in terms of our wives or what we envision for our our daughters to be as mothers uh, growing up. (laughs) (laughs) Really? How is it different? Uh, You know, when you think of the complete overall theme of of the life of your mother, uh, it it probably is summed up by sacrifice. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the big defining things of, of, of mothers of our mother's generation is, is just how much they completely sacrifice for the family. And this is in no way to under-recognize the sacrifices wives <laughs> make now, but it's different. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you're telling me that your wife, when you see her toiling away at home, you're, you're not automatically flashing the sacrificial light bulbs over your head? Oh, yeah, she, absolutely, she's making sacrifices. But uh, when I compare that to something like our own mothers who... Uh, I think for a lot of listeners, our mothers completely, uh, their dreams or whatever dreams they had for their future were, mm. n- were completely sidelined by looking after their children and their families. Yeah, that is true. In a way that I, I think it has something to do with the immigrant experience, too. Like both of our moms, you know, aren't from Canada originally. So they, yeah. they had to switch identities at some point in the middle of their lives. And that's an intense experience. And yeah. that plays into that, right? But even now, I still feel like the sacrifice thing is ongoing with them. It never ends. Well, this is true. This is true. I mean, this comes up a lot in my workplace where even though we have more female physicians in my hospital than male physicians, mm. uh, there's still this element of how do you make things fair that their sacrifice is not out of proportion to that of all their male colleagues just from the point of view of they end up taking time off for having their children um, mm. that the male physicians we maybe some of us get some time off but certainly nothing like what the what the mom physicians are, are, are taking off which mm-hmm. might sound good on the surface if someone's like oh great they get time off but we, we know that time off is only that's time away from your your professional job. That's not actually time off where you're at home relaxing or having a great time. Mm -hmm. And then later when they want to apply for, for different promotions or opportunities that come up at work, uh, people look at their CV and they're saying like, well, how can I give you this job fairly when there's another person who's been here employed at the hospital just as long as you, but on their CV, they've managed to accomplish a lot more. And it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you can't put all your mom achievements on your CV. Uh, mm-hmm. And how how do you make that fair? Because 
Yeah, so, so there are women who are physicians who don't have kids, and you know they're certainly saying, yeah, my CV looks good too, so because I didn't have kids or couldn't have kids, should I not get my reward by having more of a professional life? It's complicated. Very complicated. I mean, it's there's an opportunity cost to everything, right? So when people have a family, then time for the family means time not working or time not relaxing. A lot of a lot of times, I think moms have to face this issue in a way that dads don't, right? Like right. dads, at the end of the day, our culture sort of expects us to work. Even even our wives expect us to work at the end of the day, right? And so. <laughs> Most modern families, you know, as progressive as they can get, generally that's still an underlying assumption. And, but the underlying assumption about whether the woman should be working is not as obvious, right? And yeah. there's much more room for interpretation in most families than there is for the dad, right? Yeah. In, and in some ways it's like, the dads have it easy, right? Like, as you know, w when are you coming home? I'm busy. I'm busy at work, right? Oh. There's no argument. You got to keep working, right? Whereas <laughs> if you were trying to like, oh, I, I, I'm recording a podcast this afternoon. I, I can't get home in time to pick up the kids. That doesn't work so well. But you right. throw in the work excuse. Our culture just says that's fine. You're allowed to do that. But for women, it's a little bit less cut and dry, right? There are, you know, many families, you know, the woman says, well, I'm working. The dad, you know, is like, well, I'm getting hungry. You know, where's my dinner? <laughs> right. And, and although that's old fashioned, that stuff yeah, still happens. I suppose that I, I, I feel like that was more accepted in my parents' generation. I think that mm -hmm. was more accepted in my parents' generation. I feel like now, certainly, there is a clear, hard limit to how long, how long I can stay at work and then just use the excuse to my wife that, like, oh, work was busy, work was long. Uh, <laughs> like, they, there's definitely not that same level of uh, expectation. Exactly. And, and that is why... You, when, you, when you look at your wife and I look at my wife, we don't immediately think sacrifice, right? Because in the olden days, the dad was doing these random things and then the wife really and the mom was really the one sacrificing everything for the family. Yeah, I guess that, I mean, things were just so completely uneven a couple of generations <laughs> ago or a generation ago that uh, now they're still not even, but it just seems like, yeah, but it was so uneven before. You should be happy. It's like, no, no, I shouldn't be happy. I shouldn't be happy until things are completely even. But I yeah. would say the idea that your wife is working late and uh, and there's not understanding for that. I, I think that's a that's a that's a particular family's problem if they have that issue more than society. Because <laughs> I don't I don't feel like as a society we're truly in a situation where if mom has to work late, people should be saying, you know, oh well, that's different than if dad is working late, especially if you have more money than dad. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, you're the father of three girls. I mean, I'm 100% behind you on that one. I have one daughter and that's, you know, that's where I stand. I agree with you. This, we need to get rid of these old-fashioned mindsets when it comes to gender. Well, would you think that for our, for our mother's generation, there were fathers who resented their wife having a job at all. There was husbands mm -hmm. who didn't want their wives to work and you know, it had a lot to do with just control. You know, if she has her own mm -hmm. job, she has independence, she has her own money, and she's not just at home catering to you all the time. And so these, mm -hmm. these f husbands went out of their way to make it difficult for their wives to work. And their wives, you know, now work is something that everybody feels like. It's a chore. You know, everybody feels like, yeah, no, I deserve <laughs> some sympathy because I have to go to work. Uh, very different than these days where the husband's looking at it as like, well, you're lucky. You're lucky I let you go to work. That's a treat. You want to do that so bad. You fought for that. Great. Well, now you can deal with that and keeping the house running at the same time. <laughs> 
mean, I, I feel like I do meet women sometimes who are stuck in that trap now, and I just want to shake them and say, you know, this isn't society. This is in your house. You're accepting that, yes. and you got to be. Yeah. Uh, you got to be saying, I have to have this conversation with my spouse or I made a, an error in judgment here. I've seen that happen a bunch of times. So my question to you is, I don't know who you've met that's doing that. But are these immigrant families? Because I feel like these, some of these are old world mentalities that we start to see more in immigrant families. Like I, I'm Chinese background so for, from, for people who don't know yeah. at this point of the podcast. But it is a fairly common thing that in Asian families, they still cling to this idea that a man works, the woman stays home. And, you know, as you're raising your daughter, you're telling them, you know, the, your main focus in life is to find a good husband to marry. Your main focus is not necessarily career. Like that kind of mindset still seeps through our culture. And I, I'm trying hard at the individual level, microscopically to push the needle, right? <laughs> that no, as a, as a daughter, as a female, you have every right to education and career and everything, yeah. right? And if you need help with your kids, I'll come help you later. Right? That's what I tell my daughter. You know, it's interesting that you would mention that about is this is this more common in the immigrant families? Because now that you say it, I feel like, yes, it is more common in these people <laughs> who, who who came from outside of Canada. Uh, and I, I could think of people who, when you're interacting with them, they, they speak with zero accent uh, whatsoever. But they did come to Canada when they were pretty young. Um, and they mm -hmm. married somebody who is from, you know, for example, somewhere in Europe. Uh, so not necessarily Asian culture at all. Uh, and yeah, you, now you're talking to a woman who is making more money than her husband, or at least would be if she's working full time. And when you hear all the stress that she's having about all the stuff she has to do at home, and you're like, yeah, that is, that's, that's preposterous that your husband is expecting you to, to do all these things at home. <laughs> you know, things like what you say, well, when are you getting home? Because I need dinner. Uh, who's going to make dinner for the kids? Or, you know, these people are going these extreme measures to make sure dinner is already thought of and prepared because they're not going to be home in time for dinner. And you're like, that is, that is nuts. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is actually. I, I, I can yes. think of someone specific where it's like a European example. Um, mm. so. Yeah, it is, it is nuts. For people out there in those, in those situations, I redirect you to our podcast on Dads in the Kitchen. Dads can cook, all right? We can make the bed. We can run a laundry machine. It's 2022 already, already right? So we can do some of these things. In but, Asian culture, isn't it more typical that dads do the cooking? That's just, that doesn't seem as strange for Asians. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I've never, I've never heard that. That's a stereotype that I think you've come up with. I just assume that because I know your dad did a lot of cooking. So I just assume that if I know one Asian guy <laughs> whose dad does that, then surely all Asian families must do that. My, my dad did do a lot of cooking. All right. So, I mean, you know, we were going to tell stories about our parents. Like my dad did a lot of cooking and my mom did not know how to cook when they got married. Right. So my dad had a few recipes that he had sort of picked up as a graduate student. So he could make like black beans with, with pork ribs and a few other little random things yeah. in the early years of their marriage. Yeah. He was, he had, he taught my mom gradually how to cook. Right. Oh. But then I remember my mom cooking frequently as we're throughout our childhood and then getting on to like when I was in high school, university, my mom got kind of lazy about the kitchen stuff. Right. Yeah. So my dad would my dad would come home and then 
after a long day's work and then start up the dinner, right? And certainly me as the high school kid, I was only good for making rice. Like they were like, <laughs> we have a, to- a chore for you, at least make the rice, right? So I'm like, really? Like I'm playing basketball, right? So I got to come in, wash the rice, cook it, but I wouldn't touch anything else. And then we'd wait for my dad to finish it off, right? Okay. I remember thinking in those years, you know, I was looking at my mom not making dinner. Yeah. Definitely the word sacrifice was not appearing <laughs> in my brain at that point. But but actually the last, you know, the last, it's been so long now. My dad's been ill with Alzheimer's and my mom's had to take over every single thing in the house. Yeah. Right. And it's just kind of crazy. Like my dad used to look after, you know, typical, you know, stereotype Asian immigrant family. Dad's looking after the finances poorly, I might add. Yeah. Right. But he's doing the bills. He's paying the taxes. You know, they're, they're trying to save costs at every turn. So anything that they can do on their own they're doing because they don't want to pay an accountant they don't want to pay anyone to do anything so my dad's done did all these things and then when he got alzheimer's suddenly my mom had to suddenly learn how to do all these things it it would go from like simple things like you know go to the bank you know manage a few of these bank accounts right deposit you know your hydro bill all these things that you take for granted that someone else will look after suddenly she had to do and she's been doing it and now i look at her i'm like wow, this is sacrifice, right? Like, like the level of care that he has required over the last few years as he's, as his illness has gotten worse has just been insane. And it's just, it's, it's something to see and experience. Cause I think we kind of lose sight of as parents that we actually have a role to play inside our house as leaders, right? Like, I mean, obviously we're leading our children, Right. right? But sometimes it's, you know, especially when we're young and we, we gr- like we grow up, we're in our 20s and 30s. We have all these ideas about, you know, what our adult life should be like. Usually it is it comes from looking at our parents. Right. Oh, oh, mom and dad slaving away in the kitchen again. Like, what's the point of that? When I grew up, we're not doing that. When I grew up, we're going to, I don't know, buy food prepackaged from fresh or whatever. And then <laughs> and then just whip it up without having to, you know, we're not going to go grocery shopping like three times a week for two hours each time because I'll find a more efficient way. And then what you and then what you realize as you get older is a lot of that stuff is fine and dandy. It's like innovative and stuff. But a lot of times we're just complaining. We're just yeah. complaining about stuff that our parents just grit their teeth through sacrifice and they just did it. Right. And I feel like that is one of the big lessons of of like watching my mom and my dad is that sacrifice thing and that and that you yourself when you become an adult and then my children when they become adults they are going to have to learn the value of that sacrifice because there's ultimately a lot of stuff you just can't outsource i'm always thinking about like how can i save a few minutes here save a few minutes there in reality the stuff that's important to you in your life whatever that is just cannot be outsourced right and if your children are important to you your family's important to you you got to spend time on it I think that's ultimately the lesson that my mom and my dad taught me all after all this time. That's what the sacrifice button is for. Yeah, it, it, it does seem like maybe it's just my perception, but I don't remember my parents complaining about being parents. Certainly, I don't remember my mom complaining about being a mom to the same degree that I complain. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you meet people who have one kid, uh, and I guess we're not in the age group where we're hanging around that so much. But when you meet people who who just have like a baby, who have one baby, uh, in that mm. first year, those people really talk like like 
you know, having two babies, that's impossible. Right? That can't be done. Um, <laughs> and it's easy to re- remember being going through some of that stuff and also feeling yeah. like, yeah, this is just this is hard. But uh, when you think, yeah, our parents went through that and never heard them complain. I, I, I get together with other people with kids, especially when not so much now as the kids are getting older. But when I got together with people with young kids, yeah, that's what people would do. That's how they would relate to each other. Spend an hour complaining about all the hard things about being a parent. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, with our parents, that just didn't seem to be something that ever trickled down to us. And maybe our kids will grow so? up not knowing that we complain, <laughs> oblivious. But I, I find that less likely. Talking about moms, yes, and and dads, but specifically talking about our moms. Given the state of the culture when when they had children, mm-hmm. what's your understanding of how actively involved your dad was in the upbringing of you guys and your siblings? in the first year of life? Like, was your dad actually hands-on doing, you know, frontline work on the front lines? Or was your dad like lurking in the background, you know, complaining about how hard all this stuff is? Uh, he was in the front lines, just not the front lines of parenting. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's out in the police force because my father was a, uh, was a policeman here in Ottawa. And I'm, he was out right. there doing that. But uh, for example, changing a diaper. I don't think my dad ever changed a diaper. An actual baby diaper. I don't even know if he has as a as an adult if he's ever changed a diaper, like a, as a grandparent mm. if he's ever changed a diaper. And I know for my for a fact that my wife's father has has said that he has never ever changed a, a diaper as a as a parent. <laughs> he's never changed one of his kids' diapers. Did they? So do these guys? Did these old guys rise to the occasion when the grandkids come along, or they've kind of checked out at this point? They are unable to learn new skills at their age. Uh, I wouldn't say they're unable to learn new skills, but uh, I still don't think my, my, I know my father has never changed uh, any of my kids' diapers, and uh, I'm pretty sure my father-in-law also has not. Uh, maybe he did once or twice, and it was a big, a big deal, like a big occasion. <laughs> well, at least, at least some progress is being made then. But it, it, does, it does speak to why there should be a Mother's Day, right? Because Mother's Day is about let's recognize what uh, mm-hmm. what moms are doing because so much of it goes unrecognized. And as a dad, certainly I could speak to how when I'm out at the at the grocery store or at a restaurant with uh, with my kids, especially when they were younger, uh, mm-hmm. you're getting like a round of applause for, for for people for doing what when my wife goes out and does, people don't even see it. Right? It's like, <laughs> oh, got four kids, huh? Uh, like. <laughs> Nobody's saying like, wow, you're so brave to, to bring them out. But I went to a, a restaurant with my kids, and this is when I only had three of them. And as I'm coming out of the restaurant, like an older mom coming in the restaurant uh, stops and sees me like at that little space between the doors with the three kids. And she says to me, you're a good father. You're a good man. <laughs> you know, because I brought my kids to a restaurant because I didn't cook them something at home. But uh, yeah, I, I was with my kids and... There was a woman who, um, she was there with uh, with like two of her kids, and one of them was like a 13-year-old, and she sees me with my hands full of groceries and, and my kids, and she's saying, oh, do you want help? I can get my son to carry some things for you. <laughs> I'm thinking like, but, but you have your own kids to do. <laughs> <laughs> to, her, to, to her, you're essentially the equivalent of a disabled person, That's right? right? She's basically let you sit on the front seat of the bus if you ask for it at that point. That's right. It's like she's saying, are you sure you're okay to be out here on your own? Is your wife watching from, from a distance just in case you get into some trouble? 
You're a good man, Charlie Brown. (laughs) But yeah, so that, so moms don't, uh, certainly historically have not gotten the recognition for just the day-to-day things that they do, Mm. right? Now, one thing they get recognition for, but I think it gets unappreciated, is the role they have in childbirth. You know, when when mom gets mad, mom will always drop the, well, I was the one that gave birth to you kind of thing. And then as, as a son... Like we always roll our eyes at this kind of comment. We're like, how bad could it have been? Like, yeah. oh, so you gave birth to me, so I owe you for the rest of my life. Like, it doesn't that don't doesn't that get paid out at some point? Yeah. Well, but, it's true. But I think it's it really is true that they're the ones that are are doing all the work. And especially when I think back to like my parents, like my dad, he couldn't even be in the room when I was born. When yeah. I was born, only one of my parents was present. Right back in those days, my my dad said they offered him the option of being in the room, right? For this big arrival of the man coming into the world. And what does my dad say? I don't need to see these things. (laughs) (laughs) So he found it very odd, you know, when I had kids that now it's acceptable culturally, like dad's in the room, you know, cutting the cord, doing all this stuff. In their day and age, it was a different time, right? But let's let's recognize the people who were actually there when it mattered, when we needed them. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, my mother almost died when she had me. Uh, really? Yeah, she had a lot of bleeding afterwards uh, to, to the point Whoa. where she got a blood transfusion. And this is not like a mm. year 2022 blood transfusion. This is a back in a you know late 70s, uh, hardly screening the blood <laughs> products transfusion where you can actually get something. <laughs> oh, she almost died of hepatitis C. That's what you meant. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it was one of these things where I think there was a certain point where even she can describe what she what she thought she was dying and, and like the sort of feeling right. of what is going to happen when you when you when you think you're dying which apparently is surprisingly peaceful <laughs> <laughs> all right well, this is a lovely note to talk about on mother's day but she did well right i am assuming i mean there weren't any long term complications from this event <laughs> she went on to she wanted to have my younger brother after me so uh, so she survived mm. the process and apparently thought near death was was pleasurable enough to <laughs> to do it again Lest, lest the audience think that we are just nostalgic for our own mothers and that uh, we think modern day mothering is, is nothing and it was only, it's only the old uh, generation <laughs> of mothers that, that deserves the credit. Uh, one point I'll definitely make before having kids in of itself, choosing to be a mother was not actually that much of a choice. Right? One could look at it from a cynical point of view and say, well, it's not like they wanted to have 12 kids. They just they just lived in a society where there was no birth, birth control and there they was this uh, obligation for them to keep producing kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas now, nowadays, certainly it is very, the option is very much on the table for someone to choose, I don't want to have kids at all. Uh, you you mm-hmm. meet a lot of young people who that's what their husband and the wife are saying is, hey, you know, we don't, we don't see ourselves having kids. We don't, we don't have kids. So now... When a mother actually gets pregnant, uh, outside of those cases where it's unintentional pregnancy, which is a whole other thing. Which, which is 50% of pregnancy. That's it. <laughs> but let's focus first on the 50% that, uh, that it's not an accident. <laughs> those people actually, eyes open, choose to have that ha- have a kid. They, they are making an actual conscious, willing sacrifice for that kid. Right. And then, so 50% of moms out there, happy Mother's Day to you for making the choice. The other 50%... Welcome to the team against your will. Well, hold, but on you're here hold on a second. Hold on a second. The other 50% are growing up in the post 
Roe versus Wade era, right? So all those other un, unplanned pregnancies, each one of those kids should be thanking your parents for not getting an abortion, right? In fact, to some degree, those kids owe their parents more, right? It's one thing to have a mother who is like, oh, no, I, I prepared for this. I wanted this and I went through it. It's a whole other thing to have a mother who's like, yeah, this was a mistake. This was thrust on me. And I still decided I would give up everything I planned in my life to have this kid. What a way to think about it. I, I, my main thing on Mother's Day is that at the end of it all, I just feel like we should just recognize that moms have it much harder than dads. You know, coming from a dad, yeah. no matter how you slice it, whether it was the moms from our parents' generation or grandparents' generation or even the moms of our generation, and I'll go on a limb and say for our daughter's generation when they become moms, dads have it easy no matter what. So we should really just take time to thank the moms and future moms that of what they sacrificed to get where they are or where they will be going someday. There's a lot of dads, potentially even dads listening, who think that, well, this doesn't necessarily apply to me because I'm a really modern, proactive dad. Uh, like I, I, I took time off of work and stayed home with the kids. Uh, or I did the, and it's like, yeah, whatever you think, uh, I'm going to say 99% of the time, no, you are still not doing as much as you think compared to what your wife is doing. <laughs> I think we just aren't there yet. It just is so natural that women are still ending up being the ones who think about the kids more than the uh, more than the dad in so many ways. Mm. You know, being the ones who are forward thinking about things like, okay, they they're going to school today. Have we checked to make sure that they've got the right clothing for the weather? You know, mm -hmm. um, when you're going on a trip, when you think about going on a family trip. Does the dad spend as much time planning all the things that the kids need to have for the trip and, uh, uh, you know, and packing for the kids as the, as the mom does? Uh, can't speak for every single family, but even the well-intentioned dads, I'm going to wager, aren't doing as much as they think they are. <laughs> so do you have any other stories about your mom? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I just sort of think about, you know, talking about sacrifice, uh, you know, my mother was a nurse and she did shift work. And for mm -hmm. something like 30 years, she just did the night shift. Like that was the only shift she worked is the overnight shift simply mm -hmm. because she wanted to be around uh, when the kids were around. Um, mm -hmm. So, well, maybe if I'm saying 30 years, then I guess at a certain point, she probably was just used to doing night shifts. So, but So that's kind of like me exiting the clinic early in the afternoon so I can go pick up my kids and spend some time with them, except it's completely an in, insane version of it. Right? It'd be like, I'm going to pick up my kids and then I'm going to not sleep tonight. I'm going to work overnight instead. That, that's it. Exactly. That's like saying, all right, well, the only time the kids don't really, really need me to be doing stuff is when they're sleeping at night. So that's when I'll go and work. <laughs> and then during the daytime when the kids are home, I mean, all through uh, like grade school and, and even kindergarten, uh, I remember all the kindergarten back in my day wasn't full day kindergarten, right? It was either <laughs> alternate day or half day. So there was times where I'm, I'm home for the whole day and my mom mm -hmm. is upstairs, you know, uh, like getting stuff done and then sleeping a bit. Mm -hmm. We, we had this thing where when the, so she worked for this thing called the registry or worked with this thing called the registry. A registry is when a bunch of nurses get together and form something like an agency, except for the nurses are the ones who are in charge of the agency. Uh, mm. but at any rate, people from the registry would call to say, Hey, you know, can you work tonight? Or this client needs a nurse. Can you come in and do this? And 
she had this thing where, where she'd work these overnights and be saying to us, when, I mean, like a, I'm a little kid, hearing, okay, if the phone rings and you answer the phone, uh, tell them I'm sleeping. <laughs> right? It's always had to be like, they always let them, let, make them think that I'm sleeping because, um, because she wouldn't want the people, she's, her, the people she's working for or working with to think that she's too busy looking after kids to be getting proper rest and she wouldn't want them to think mm. she's going to the job tired. Right. right. Whereas nowadays, it's totally the opposite. When people are uh, like making sacrifices at home for their job, they practically want to brag about it. They want all their employer to know how hard they have it at home and, and how much they have to juggle work. The idea, my mother used to actually downplay how many kids she had when she went to work. She wouldn't <laughs> let them know she had four for fear that people would be thinking, oh, if you got four kids, there's no way you could be you know, giving 100% so to your job. What did she do? She just dropped you and your brother? There were only two? On the list, like who got dropped when she was uh, making that quote? Uh, I don't actually know because I think she tried to talk about as little as possible. So uh, I don't think it was something where she would said, "Oh yes, I have uh, one girl and one boy." <laughs> I think it would just be, "Oh no, I have two kids." Uh, so whoa, uh, did you uh, see the news yesterday or you know, something like that? To change the subject. <laughs> I have two kids. She didn't mention I have two other ones, but I do have two kids. But uh, there was this thing once where the school uh, called because they were, um, uh, they called or was in some kind of parent-teacher interview where they were concerned mm -hmm. because uh, one of us kids, uh, when they asked about what does your mother do, uh, you know, because they're asking different kids, you know, what does your father do for a job? What does your mother do? And so a lot of kids were saying, oh, my mother is uh, like stays at home or my mother looks after us. And one mm -hmm. of us kids, they said, what does your mother do? Uh, and the, whichever one of it was interpreted the question is, what does she do during the day? And so she said, oh, my mother sleeps during the day. And so <laughs> they um, immediately imagined this mother who doesn't have a job and who's like strung out on Valium all day, where it's like <laughs> some kind of depression and is asleep all day. So the, when they're talking to my mom about this and she's saying that she has a job, she's a nurse, they were like, what? What? We didn't realize you actually had a job. My brother's like, no, no I have a job. I work nights. And then when the kids are at school, I'm sleeping. Uh, so I'm not just sleeping all day. I, um, but that's the type of stuff that she was going through, which I feel like now there's not nearly the same type of stigma. People don't have to no. make those excuses. Wow. Oh, man. But, you know, when uh, when we went to buy a TV once, the salesperson used this line that uh, totally my mom gobbled up this line. You know, usually she doesn't trust any salespeople, but suddenly this guy, she, she was on her good side because he was talking about how, you know, I'm going to try to give you a deal on the TV, but like, oh, let's make no mistake. Uh, like nobody's going to give you anything for free in this world. Uh, so I'm going to mm -hmm. make you a deal, but, you know, I'm not trying to sell you this idea that I'm giving you something for free. And then his specific line was, the only, only one person in your life can, ever, can you ever trust will give you something for free, and that's your mother. Uh, only your mother ever gives you anything completely for free. You know, maybe, maybe your father might, but you can only ever count on your mother to give you something for free. And my mom was just like, oh, yeah, this guy gets it. He, he's he's trying And now we, we bought this giant, for the time, like 46-inch TV projection screen TV. <laughs> But it's so true when you think about that. It, it is true. It is true. I don't know. I when I think about my mom, I mean, I, a lot of it. Th I a lot of times I don't actually know what it was like. 
I mean, I, I guess I lived through part of it with her, like the immigrant experience. Yeah. But to me, that's the craziest thing that, you know, they would come, you know, in their early 20s to a country where they don't speak the language. They, they don't know what their prospects are for the future. And they're just going to make a go of it. Right. Yeah. And and, and what's your goal going to be here? We're going to raise unnamed kids. You know, we're going to have some kids and we're going to raise them and that's it. Right. And, and to me, as a parent now, and I, like, you know, I have the fortune to be a physician you know, I'm in a double physician household. Like we have all these weird stresses and anxieties. Yeah. You know, you, you, you forget how far you've come as a family and you forget the stuff that, you know, I forget the stuff that my mom had to go through. Yeah. She was telling me the other day that her and my dad were, you know, they were thinking about it. I think, I think she might've been pregnant with me or I was really small. She was still working in those years. Mm -hmm. And some of her like, you know, colleagues trying to be helpful were like, uh, so do you and Jim, like my dad, do you and Jim have any other family here? And they're like, no, we're here alone. So, and they're like, so what happens if you guys get in an accident? Like if you guys get in a car accident, you know, who's going to look after the kids? Yeah. And then she was telling me that this was a actual thing in her mind, that there's no one else around. Yeah. And so then in your life, your purpose is I just got to survive until they get into adulthood. Yeah. Right. And then she looks at me, it's like, guess I made it right. You guys survived. You guys are doing okay. And mission accomplished. And it's really crazy to think that that becomes their whole purpose. Right. Yeah. In a way that, I mean, I'm, I look at my kids the same way. Like I'm like, you know, we got to survive and be there for them when they need us as they're getting older and ensure that, you know, we can help them as much as we can, but it doesn't come with the same sense of like isolation yeah. that you would, would have as a new immigrant, yeah. right? Like literally where are you turning to help? There's nobody. Yeah, it's crazy. Because uh, my, my parents would have certainly have gone through the same thing. Mm -hmm. When I think about some of the stuff that my mom did that's just different than now, you know, now uh, the type of things that my kids are into, you know, say they're into uh, video games or, or comic books or superheroes or whatever. Uh, uh, largely, this is because I helped get them into these things, that I have my own interests and then I kind of <laughs> share that with them, right? Right. But me as a kid growing up, you know, my dad wasn't into superheroes or that type of thing. Um, and certainly my mom wouldn't have grown up with video games or anything like this. But uh, anyway, I discovered these interests. I got really into, I remember, Super Mario. And so for me now as an adult, if I see some cool Super Mario thing like giveaway in a cereal box, I'll buy that partly because I think it's cool. And I'm like, oh, I think this thing's cool. And then, you know, my excuse is I can give it to the kids. Uh, but... Uh, for me as a kid, it's totally different. I didn't expect my mom to be uh, uh, like into the, th even understanding the things that I'm into, right? Like my <laughs> kids will talk about what like the TV show or stuff they like, and I know the characters and I know this and that, but uh, I would not have expected my mom to necessarily even recognize who Super Mario is or that type of thing. <laughs> I remember one of the things that just impressed me the most was that uh, Sonoko was a gas station and they had this promotion on where you buy a certain amount of gas, and then you can buy this little miniature Super Mario figurine. And this is back when Super Mario merchandise was extremely scarce. Now it's all over the place. But in those days, you had the video game, um, and uh, that, that was about it. So my mom came home with, uh, with these two figurines, one for me and one for my younger brother, Mario and Luigi. And <laughs> uh, I was just so blown away that she not only did she drive by the gas station and recognize that's the thing that my two boys are really into, but she went out of her way to uh, to stop and get gas there. 
because uh, <laughs> to get two figurines, you had to fill up your tank twice. So she like went and then she proceeded to go back and get the rest of the figures and complete that collection. And that just, uh, that means so much more to me, her doing that, than, uh, than I feel like that would mean to my kids, uh, me doing it. Absolutely. I mean, did you ever have the feeling that because your parents grew up in a different place from where you grew up, that you just couldn't, they couldn't relate to you? And, and part of it is this whole pop culture thing, right? Like they don't have any of the common interests that you would as a kid because they're from a different place. Like I was always struck by that with my parents. Did you feel that? I think it's a little different for me from the point of view. Uh, my father coming from England, the basics of the culture and the language and that stuff is the same. The or holidays similar. are the same. Mm. Uh, and my mother growing up in Jamaica, which was a British colony uh, up until the 60s, uh, also a very westernized culture. So mm. um, I don't think I felt it nearly as acutely as someone like you who's, you know, even when people are talking about Halloween, your parents would be, well, I mean, I guess my parents didn't grow with Halloween either, but. Anyway, you get the idea. You know, things like <laughs> right. the traditions would have been different. Um, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was always having this thing where, like, you just kind of feel disconnected from your parents because you can't talk to them about, you know, movies easily. You can't talk to them about sports. You know, these are the things that kind of matter to you as a young guy growing yeah. up. Like, you can't talk to them about comics. Every Everything to them is, you know, they're very... They're, I, my parents always struck me as being overly serious, overly concerned with academics at the expense of all else. Yeah. It wasn't until way later that I could start to understand them better. I mean, uh, one quick anecdote. I think I think this was, like, in the middle of university, like, one of those summers where I had nothing to do, came home for the summer, you know, sleeping in every day. And next thing you know... For some reason, like CTV, I still remember, was CTV decides to, they're going to run Rocky, like the whole series, like one through five each night of the week. And yeah. I had seen it in like my TV guide. So I had programmed the VCR. I was recording Rocky every week and then watching it the next day. Right. And my mom would walk in and be like, oh, Stallone, like, you know, from the 70s. She at least recognizes this guy. So we started watching Rocky together. Yeah. And she kept making fun of me. It's like, how can you watch this? This is like drivel. But then she's actually sitting there watching it alongside me. Right? This is kind of a cool bonding experience. And, you know, it, it, movies was like a good example. I always felt like, you know, my parents, they would name some movie from the 60s or something. And I'd be like, this isn't culturally relevant to me anymore. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I wanted my parents to watch The Matrix with me or watch Speed. Right. Like they were always like confused. Like, why? Why is my son interested in Star Wars? This thing looks like it's for five year olds. Yeah. Right. But but at some point, like at some point in university or it was probably after university, I started I can't remember why, but I, I decided to start watching like Akira Kurosawa. Actually, it's probably because of Star Wars, because Akira Kurosawa is this Japanese director who's very famous for making these samurai movies. Okay. And some of them is the inspiration behind Star Wars. Anyways, I started watching this. My mom comes in and I, I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself that, you know, I'm watching like some like rarefied intellectual crap, you know, foreign films in Japanese black and white. My mom looks at me and he's like, isn't that Toshiro Mifune? I'm like, but she said it in Chinese. I'm like, who? You know this guy? Right? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we grew up, we watched these things all the time, right? These are like, yeah, samurai movies. Yeah. And I had no idea that my mom had this like repository of knowledge about this really esoteric thing, yeah. right? And that, you know, that these samurai movies would be like something that would bridge, you know, the, these experiences, these time periods together. It was quite neat, actually. I remember being surprised when my mom said that she saw the original Star Wars in the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> One of the times when she was supposed to have been sleeping, she was actually out watching movies. Well, this was certainly before I was born. 
um, you know, talking about how you, there's so much you underestimate, I think, your parents when you're a kid, especially, I think, when there's that immigrant experience where you sort of feel like you're more hip to what's going on in the world or, yeah. like around you than your parents. But my, I remember in medical school, as a medical student, I'm talking to my mom about something medical related. Uh, and, you know, at first I'm trying to use simplified terms and then she's like talking at a level above what I'm at. It's like, you know, you know I, I am a nurse, you know, I, I, and have been for a long time and use all these medications <laughs> to all this stuff. I actually have a ton of medical knowledge. She, she's not saying that, but it's like becoming obvious that for all this time, uh, she's been holding back uh, or mm. for all this time, you know, I have met people who uh, they're a nurse or something else and even if you're not in that field whatsoever, you know that they are because they always try to look, make themselves look smart by bringing up <laughs> things or trying to use technical terms when they don't need to. Uh, and my mom never did that. And so it became easy to, to, to not realize that she could use technical terms if she wanted to. Um, and yeah, so we're having this conversation and uh, I'm realizing, holy smokes, uh, um, not only do nurses know more than I think people give them credit to, but my mom knows more than I think I was giving her credit for. I, I totally stand, stand behind you on that one. A similar type of thing happened with parenting with me and my mom. Like for years, I, my, mom has, my mom has all these random ideas about like how we're supposed to look after our health, like what vitamins you should be eating and, you know, how, like all these little recommendations that generally as a family doctor, I just kind of roll my eyes at. Definitely when I was in my 20s, I was definitely rolling my eyes all the time yeah. at her. But then at some point, you know, we had kids and brought my kids over and I was like, yeah. Seems like my mom actually really knows what she's doing with these kids. Because at home, we're like, you know, you know, we have no idea what's coming and going. Kids won't sleep. The kids won't eat. Like, I have talked about this on other episodes of the podcast where, like, my kids were not, they decided they didn't need naps. So I'd come home from work, and they'd be, like, bleary-eyed and, like, on the, on the verge of total breakdown. They'd yeah. throw their dinners on the floor. And then a couple of days a week where my mom's watching them, I'd come back, and my mom would be like, oh, they slept two hours. They slept three hours in the afternoon today. They'd be eating happily. I'd be like, what? What is going on? It's like there's some trick that uh, w that we didn't realize. So during those years, especially when my daughter was small and and a, a little bit when my son was small, but although th because my dad was getting worse, we weren't able to spend as much time. Mm -hmm. I really got to watch my mom on a day to day basis interacting with little kids. Yeah. And I just realized that the only way you get good at parenting is just to be doing a lot of parenting, right? <laughs> eventually you'll level up, you know, you and I, our wives, eventually we will level up too when we become grandparents. Yeah. And, and it was just a really nice thing to be able to see that, you know, and have the time to spend with her and, and ha see how she would interact with the kids and really appreciate that. Like now that they're older, like I, I've asked my daughter, like, how come you always would eat dinner at, at, at my mom's house, at grandma's house, but not at our house. And she'd be like, the food at our house sucks. Right? <laughs> the, the other day she tells my mom, like, I'm not there. Like she was spending the afternoon with my mom. She, she decides like on her own to ask grandma, like, uh, can we stay at your house for dinner? Right. And my mom's like, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Of course. Right. So my daughter's preempting the fact that, you know, preempting us making dinner ourselves that night. Right. Cause yeah. then when I come back to pick her up, my mom's got dinner already. And then my mom comes up to me later. She's like, so you know what your daughter asked me? It's like, she asked if she could stay for dinner. And then she said, the takeout that my daddy gets, 
disgusting. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what's wrong with the takeout that we get? Why is it disgusting? I hate it, is what she says. She'd rather eat at my mom's. And and that really says it all on Mother's Day. We'd all like to eat at our mom's place. <laughs> oh man. Uh, my mom still makes the best stuffing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. I've had many different types of stuffing. But uh and I think this is a common thing. A lot of people feel their mother's stuffing is the best. But uh, yeah, I really uh, I haven't even seen anything that even approximates like the, the texture or the like the quality of my mom's uh, stuffing. Mm. So there you go. Mother's Day 2022. It's coming fast. So for all the dads out there, actually, by the time this episode airs, Mother's Day will have just happened, I believe. Uh, yeah. Assuming that we get this thing edited in a, in a, in a hurry. But yeah, I, I mean, I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't even done justice to, to, to if we're just, if the purpose of this episode was to just uh, regale or, or glorify our own mothers, uh, uh, we could go on and on. Like, there's just so many, <laughs> I, I mean, everyone has a great mother, I presume, but I really feel pretty strongly about uh, that uh, our mothers were some, something unique. Absolutely. And our wives. Let's not forget the other mothers in our lives. Yeah, that you people have to dig out last year's Mother's Day podcast because I think that one was more focused on our on our wives. But uh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, happy Mother's Day week. You know, make it a good week and uh, we'll see you in another week when we talk about uh, Father's Day. <laughs> no, not likely. We'll get to Father's Day eventually. We'll get to Father's Day. We won't. We won't ever miss it. You know, other people may miss it, but we will not miss it on this podcast. All right, sounds good. See you in a week. Okay, bye, folks. <laughs>